Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. This is the Investor Coaching Show, and I'm Paul Winkler. Interesting. Uh, there was a, somebody was asking a question today. Um, somebody asked me a little earlier, earlier today about hedge funds. How about all these wealthy people, Paul? And they invest in hedge funds, and they're and and we're like, well, wait a minute. You know, usually when you hear about hedge funds, you hear about wealthy people, right? There's an article about it. I read someplace. I think it's Market Watch, as I recall. And it was dumb things that wealthy people are doing right now. <laughs> no, we often talk about it. Don't watch wealthy people when it comes to investing because a lot of times their investing prowess isn't exactly um, there. Uh, hedge funds, you will have amounts of money that you have to have, uh, net worth and, and income requirements that make it such that the only people that can invest in hedge funds are people that the government deems to have so much money that they can afford to lose a bunch of it. Um, but then when you see wealthy people in hedge funds, you're typically seeing the person managing the hedge fund getting wealthy because they have very high management fees. It might be a couple of percent, typical, you know, two and 20. And, uh, you know, 2% of the assets and 20% if it has a gain. So if you have a 20% gain, 20% times 2%, you know, you got, I mean, do the math and basically 4% right there. And then you've got another 2%, you got 6% of management fee. And if it goes down, you just, you know, you just have the 2% management fee. What a great deal. Um, and, you know, I did years ago, I was teaching a workshop. And in this workshop, it was at like one of these, like a club, you know, you like you have these, these clubs like Lions Club and, and you know, Kiwanis and, and, you know, so on and so forth. I don't remember what it was. But I was teaching a workshop. One of the members is an accountant, a CPA, and said, hey, Paul, can you come teach a class at our club? And I said, yeah, sure, I did it. And, and uh, sometimes I used to do that where I would go to investing clubs. And the investing clubs were always fun because they were there to pick stocks. And I was there to tell them that what they were doing was <laughs> just – or a big, huge, huge waste of time. Uh, but I went to this one thing and I figured, well, you know, it's one of these other types of clubs. I'll go and teach a little class and and guy comes up to me afterwards and he goes, well, you know, I invest in hedge funds. And, and I was like, oh, good. <laughs> uh, sorry. I mean, I'm sorry to hear that you do that. Uh, but he was, well, you know, this is what I invest in. And what I did is I started, I said, well, you know what, um, I've heard of a lot of problems with what are called reporting bias, which is the only, only time that they actually report their returns is when their returns are good. So, you know, that's one problem that you have with hedge funds. And then the other thing is survivorship bias. So only the ones that you hear about are the ones that have survived and they only survive if they have good returns. If they have bad returns, anybody that runs a hedge fund is just going to shut it down and get rid of its performance history. I mean, that's, that's how they operate. And people think, oh, they're, they're wealthy. Well, it's the people managing the hedge funds that tend to be wealthy, not the people investing in. They, you know, it's like that old joke that says, hey, you know how to um, get a million dollars in investing? Start with $2 million and invest in a hedge fund. <laughs> that's, that's how you end up with a million dollars. But um, 
you know, see, and it's just one of those things that every once in a while I just have to point out that a lot of the stuff that you hear about investing is driven by the marketing aspect of things. Now, there was an article in Wall Street Journal. It was what investors should know about money market funds and CDs. And they said investors are rushing into cash. I mean, isn't it typical that investors will rush into cash? They mess up, they invest, and they mess up, and then they get scared, and then they run, run to cash, and then the market recovers, and then after the market has recovered, now not before, after the market has recovered, then they pull their money out of cash and they stick it in the market again, and the market goes back down, and they go, oh gosh, this is terrible, I can't believe they did this, and they lose money, and they put it back in cash, and they go back and forth all the time. It's just one of the things that people do. But I, I thought I'd share what was in the article just because it has a few things that I think are interesting. Now, they're talking about, number one, why are they scared? Well, they're scared because the banking system. And you hear about concerns about stability in the banking sector after the collapse of Sil Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And most recently, First Republic Bank. You know, so this is propelling the trend for the time being to come, right? For, for weeks to come, it says in the article. What are they investing in? In, in banks. They're putting money and overloading in something that has just had problems, which I think is just funny. It says, how, it says for investors, however, the key question is whether they have a cash strategy beyond fear. And I think that's a good line in the article. I mean, are you investing because you're scared? If you're putting it in cash because you're scared, that's not a really good reason because history has not been kind to cash investments after inflation. Inflation, of course, is the purchasing power of your dollar going down. And when you put $100,000 in a bank, they'll hand you back $100,000 plus whatever interest that they've given you, but they're not going to give you the purchasing power of that $100,000 when it went in. That's the thing that you run into problems with is you don't have that purchasing power protection. And as the writer of this article says, if history is a guide, putting too much money of one's portfolio in cash is a strategy that can backfire and be a drag on portfolio performance. And it can backfire in a big way. Absolutely correct. It says if the Fed decides to cut interest rates instead of raising them, yields on CDs and other cash equivalent investments may decline while equities rebound. And that's exactly what happens so often is you'll have these big movements in the market, as I've said so many times before, yet 91% or 96%, excuse me, of the market's returns from the 1960s, the University of Michigan study, have occurred in 0.9% of trading days. I mean, when markets recover, bam, it is fast and you can't get in on time. Now, they're talking about the, the retail funds that have seen the biggest net inflows year to date. Guess which company comes up first? Vanguard. Now, what does that tell you about fund companies? Hey, you know what? We're not going to necessarily work on your discipline and make sure you're doing, hey, you'll put money in. We'll let you self-destruct any way that you want to. We will let you. Hey, you want to do this? Hey, we won't stop you. Go ahead. Do this. I mean, it reminded me, Scott uh, up in the Goodlitzville office was making a comment. He says, Paul, you ought to do a commercial like that. And he, he basically said he was talking about an investment company 
and they were saying, oh, you, you know, you want to put some money in gold? Uh, you know, put some money in gold. You want to put some money in, in uh, yeah, cryptocurrency? Put money in cryptocurrency. Oh, life insurance is an investment. Yeah, go ahead. Life insurance. Yeah, go do that. Annuities. Oh, absolutely. They're basically order takers, he said. He said, you know what they never say in the radios, on the radios, on things that they got, or any radio, or any of their advertising or anything like that? They never say that we, they never say no. Don't do this. This is not in your best interest. Don't do this. It's just, you know, just don't overdo it. And I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, don't, don't, don't overdo the arsenic. But you can have a little bit of <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. You would never say that to somebody. Just have just a little bit of arsenic. As long as you don't overdo the arsenic, it's, it's fine. No, that's insane. If something is bad for you from an investing standpoint, don't do it, period, end of sentence. Done. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's like an enabler. You know, whatever you want to do, as long as you love me, you can do whatever you want to do. As long as you don't reject me. You know, so they have the pros about money market funds. They're highly liquid, uh, more so than CDs. The cons typically aren't insured by the FTC, FDIC like bank deposits and CDs. Now, you can have money markets to FDIC insured at banks. Okay, so I'm just going to put that out there. But that's, that's from the article right there. It says, many adv financial advisors suggest using a laddered approach when investing in CDs. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't recommend that. And the reason is, what are CDs for? They're not this investment vehicle that you're using, you know, as, as some kind of a replacement. Those money market investments and short-term savings accounts, it's emergency fund. It's where I don't know when I'm going to need the money. A laddered CD is where you have one CD that matures in a month, and you have another one that matures in two months, and three months, and four months, or, you know, laddered. It's going to be maturing at different times. Well, that works really great if I'm going to be pulling money out at various points in time. And there have been some very limited circumstances that I've recommended that approach where I have, let's say, a goal over the next two years that I got to pay tuition payments. And I've got one tuition payment that's due in three months, another one that's due in six months, let's say, another one that's due in nine months and another one that's due in 12 months. Then I might do that. Then I have, you know, a tuition payment that's due in three months, so I got a three-month three CD. Then I got a tuition payment that's due in six months, I'll have a six-month CD. Then I have another tuition. Yeah, that may make sense, but that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about as an investor. And it sounds good. It sounds so sophisticated. We'll use a laddered approach to your bond portfolio. Now, in reality, that is not what I want to do with my cash. I want my cash available at all times. That's the purpose of cash. Now, uh, you know, from, from a CD, if, if it's a low enough back-end surrender, I might be willing to do something like that. Now, they said another part, and this is where I want to just camp for just a second. They were talking about brokered CDs being popular now. And this is something that I was like, no, 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 no. I can't think of a circumstance that I'm really a big fan of a brokered CD. Because the problem is, and as she well points out in this column in the Wall Street Journal... Uh, is that broker CDs can be called back by the issuing bank before the maturity date. Meaning, she says, the writer says, that investors will lose out on the full earnings potential they were expecting. So in other words, a calling is kind of like you refinancing your mortgage. I go in, 
I say, hey, I want to refinance this. I'm going to take out a loan at a lower interest rate. That's calling it. Now, the problem is that you not only lose out on the full earnings, but what happens is when you will lose out on those full earnings is when interest rates drop. You know, so you basically miss out on those higher interest rates that you signed up for the thing in the first place for. And what happens is that if you look at, at these types of CDs in a portfolio, you'll notice they'll fluctuate all over in value. And it's because they are subject to interest rate risk. You know, so you have this thing in your portfolio, you bought for stability, but interest rates go up and all of a sudden your CD, your brokered CD goes down in value. Now they're not going to refinance when that happens. They're not going to go, oh, sorry, you lost money. We're going to give you your money back. No, that's not the way it works. They go, sorry, Charlie, we're borrowing your money at this low interest rate, and now interest rates are higher in the marketplace, and your bond went down in value. Nobody wants to buy it from you anymore at the old price. So hence, it just, you know, when it comes to your emergency money, typically you'll hear all the time three to six months worth of, of spending is going to be in emergency funds. Typically, I am going to recommend using something like, you know, savings accounts. And it really depends on the person. There may be differences based on your financial plan. But a lot of times I am not using CDs in that particular instance. Very rarely would I do that. I normally would use savings accounts, money market accounts, FDIC insured. Yes, that's lovely and everything. It's not super, super critical. Uh, in, in my mind, some, some companies are very likely to back their money market accounts. In other words, they won't let them break the buck. Uh, so they're, they're very protected. But typically, I am more inclined to have my savings in something that is very liquid. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. It talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. You want to find out more about that? You go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it and uh, hope you enjoy oh what else is going on out there oh gold investors gold investors turn to gold iras amid economic uncertainty again another one of those things you know you have gold back in the 1980 they were talking about in some i forgot what publication was uh it was the gold bugs think that gold is going to rise to 2000 an ounce. And it did uh, 40, 40 something years later. Yeah, yeah, it did. That was really good. Uh, but but you, you look at it and, and say, well, you know, it fluctuates all over in value. 
And and yet, you know, what happens is people get excited about the idea of investing in gold because they think it's going to be stable. It's going to be something that is a certainty. And I like, you know, the, what they point out in this article says, you know, some investors hope in gold is the protection they need. In times of economic turmoil, some investors have always made sure that some of their assets are in gold. Some investors have always made sure that they've had some of their money in something that historically has had no return above inflation. <laughs> uh, oh, wait a minute. No, I think it was um, it was a little bit less than 1% above inflation from 1980 till now. I, I, I stand corrected. Um, oh, I'm back, but, but 100 years ago, you bought a good men's suit for an ounce of gold. Now you buy a good men's suit for an ounce of gold. Uh, but, you know, here's, here's the thing. And I like that they said this in this article. Investing in gold can require a strong stomach, since gold prices can be volatile as geopolitical risks, recessions, and a host of global monetary issues can trigger rapid swings. And you look at gold and you look at the standard deviation of it. That's how you measure risk. It's all over the place. Incredibly risky. And look at one of the worst periods in history for inflation, the 1980s. And what did gold do? Dropped. It dropped. It didn't go up in value. It dropped in value. And now, of course, as I talked about in the previous week, uh, you know, got the water, the flooding, and all that stuff over in California. Now they're discovering new gold, which increases the supply. And when you increase the supply, what does that do to the price of something? It can decrease the price. Yeah, but the, the investment firms that sell this stuff because the dollar's going to crash. You need to buy, you need to have this because the dollar's going to crash. And yet they'll take your dollars for their gold. Makes no sense. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.